0: Welcome to the Atlanta Legacy Makers Podcast. I'm Floyd Hall here at Oakland Cemetery. The Atlanta Legacy Makers Podcast is a companion conversation to the 1996 Gary Pomerantz book, Where Peachtree Meets Sweet Auburn, A Saga of Race and Family. In this episode, we'll be taking a deep dive into part one of that book entitled Old South. Very soon, we'll be hearing from Marcy Breffel of Historic Oakland Foundation to get a better picture of the connection between Oakland Cemetery and Atlanta mayors Ivan Allen Jr. and Maynard Jackson. Plus, Gordon Jones of the Atlanta History Center shed some light on Atlanta's militaristic importance during the Civil War. But first, we get some insight from author Gary Pomerantz about what it was like to write Where Peace Peachtree Meets Sweet Auburn. Well, early on in the book, it's very apparent that you did a lot of research. And I would love for you to maybe talk about how you approached the research for the ancestral members of, of, of these two families, and how did you corral all of that information?
1: Well, I began by going directly to the two mayors. Ivan Allen Jr. was retired then. He was in his early 80s, and I went, when I went to see him at the Ivan Allen Office Supply Company and told him what I wanted to do, he, he looked at me and he said, well, we're not very interesting. And I said, Mayor Allen, with all due respect, I'll be the judge of that. At that time, Maynard Jackson was in his third term as Atlanta's mayor. He was a busy guy, and it was very difficult. It took me a couple of years to be able to sit with him. Uh, And, you know, I was starting to get worried that I wouldn't get to interview him. I needed him. He was an essential piece of this, you know, 10,000 piece puzzle. And I I went to see his press secretary at the time, Angelo Fuster. And I said, Angelo, I'm doing this book. It's on the Dobbs family and the Allen family. And I really need to get an interview with Maynard. And he said, well, you know, what's the problem? I said, Angelo, I hate to do this, but I want to show you a document I have. And I pulled out uh, a copy of the inventory of the estate of a farmer in Cobb County from 1851, the farmer's name, Josiah Dobbs. And it listed his 13 slaves. And on the page, it said the most valuable was a Negro man, Wesley, valued at $800. Wesley, that slave, was the great-great-grandfather of Maynard Jackson, the the South's and Atlanta's first black mayor, and Angela looked at this, and he said, "Have you shown Mr. Maynard?" And I said, "No, I I, I don't want to devalue or de, diminish the meaning of this document. I understand the meaning of this document. It's its power and 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 its pain that are embedded in it. Uh, I I just wanted to show it to him when we were." In an interview, he said, Let me make a copy and I'll get back to you. And within a a week, he got back to me, and Maynard Jackson suddenly was all in. He understood that this wasn't a quick hit feature or a quickie book, that I was going deep. And so, in both cases, um, I I began with the family's oral traditions. Uh, And then, in the case of the Allens, I went to Greenville, Tennessee, in East Tennessee beautiful river country, the Nolichucky River. That's where Ivan Allen's ancestors came from. They were slave-holding farmers. And um, I found at one point in the courthouse in in Greenville, Tennessee, from 1831, a lawsuit uh, filed by one of the Allen family members against his siblings over the dispensation of the family slaves. And there in the story of the Allens, the Annabellum Allens, began to pour out through those court documents and through some of the people and the histories that had been written in Greene County, Tennessee. Well, it's one thing to track white history during antebellum times, a very different thing to track black history, because there was very little documentation of slave life. But in the Dobbs family, the oral tradition of the slave ancestors was was rich and revealing and in nearly every case where I was able to corroborate those stories factually, they proved out they proved to be true and uh, the Dobbs you know come from Kennesaw area, uh, this being maynard jackson's maternal line and, um, uh, and and so I started to go through the oral traditions and you know there are moments where Uh, where things come to life. For instance, I had heard about uh, the freed slave Judy Dobbs. I found her uh, in Cobb County beginning in 1870 when African-Americans in the South were first recognized fully with first and last names and as citizens. Well, Judy Dobbs was a revered grandmother of John Wesley Dobbs, Maynard's grandfather. Uh, Later from a family uh, member in Cleveland, Ohio, in his attic, um, I was able to find a, a photograph of Judy Dobbs. And then I interviewed Maynard Jackson's mother, who as a, as a girl knew Judy Dobbs. And I said, "Miss Jackson, can you tell me what she sounded like when she spoke? And, and Maynard Jackson's mother, who was then in her 80s, started to speak. And it, it, it sounded like a country gibberish, my point is, is you know, what starts as a name on a census then becomes a photograph and now becomes a voice. So historically, Judy Dobbs, who was believed to have been born in 1824, had come alive.
0: Thank you to Gary Pomerantz, lecturer at Stanford University in the graduate program in journalism Oakland Cemetery is one of my favorite places to visit um, by far in Atlanta. Uh, There's history, it's a park, it's a great place to get away in downtown Atlanta. And so I'm so excited to speak with Marcy Breffel, who is the education manager for Historic Oakland Foundation to see what she thinks about the book where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn and so much more.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Floyd, thank you so much for having me on. This is, uh, I love talking about Oakland. I love talking about Atlanta history. So this is such a great podcast and I am thrilled to be involved. Um, but like I said, my name is Marcy Bruffle. I'm the Education Manager at Historic Oakland Foundation. Historic Oakland Foundation is the nonprofit that works with the city of Atlanta to preserve, restore, enhance, and share Oakland Cemetery. Now, If you're not familiar with Oakland, uh, you should be, but (laughs) there's always a chance to come visit. But Oakland is a 48-acre historic cemetery, green space, um, and really kind of cultural landmark that is, you know, located about a mile from the historic center of Atlanta. But it is a Victorian garden cemetery, which, you know, traditionally when we think of cemeteries a lot of us think of the kind of memorial parks that are just you know very flat you've just got a bunch of plain headstones oakland is so much more than that it is when it was developed in when it was founded in 1850 it was founded for one a need for more burial space but also uh, people wanted recreational space this is kind of oakland was Atlanta's first public park, first place where you know people could come to not only visit their ancestors, but they may also come and walk around and exercise, go on a stroll. But it is uh, just really critical and important to the fabric of Atlanta history. So there are over 70,000 people buried at Oakland. We call everyone buried there a resident because this is their eternal resting place and oakland is still an active burial site we have about 12 to 15 burials a year and uh, ivan allen and maynard jackson are two of those such residents Um, but oakland it was um, the historic oakland foundation was founded in 1976 and you know the staff that i work with we are in charge of doing the restoration for the cemetery The preservation work, as you can tell, it's the cemetery is 170 years old. So a lot of the gravestones are kind of falling down. You've got walls that are kind of breaking apart or being uprooted by trees. So we do a lot of the restoration work, the preservation work and uh, the gardens landscaping. And then also the act of sharing the cemetery through the different programs and special events and tours that we offer. So I am the education manager. I am in charge of all of our kind of educational opportunities which goes from the students that come in on field trips all the way up to our senior programs, you know, we scavenger hunts, photography workshops, basically trying to develop programs for people to experience the history the art and architecture and the gardens of the cemetery. So I work with an incredible team and an amazing group of volunteers to share Oakland with our visitors and the people of Atlanta.
0: Turning our attention to where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn, the first part of this book is entitled Old South, which seems to fit right in with Oakland Cemetery. So I wanted to get some perspective from you, Marcy, what were some of your initial impressions from reading this part of the book?
2: Sure. So, uh, reading this book, is uh, it's been on my to-read kind of list for a very long time, uh, basically since I first started at Oakland about five years ago, um, just because it does bring in so much history that is relevant to Oakland and the residents that are buried there. but as I was reading this, kind of my first impressions is that, uh, especially with this section of the book, is that I was familiar with a lot of the history of Atlanta that, you know, they're talking about the founding of Atlanta as this small railroad depot called Terminus and, you know, talking about the Civil War and the impact that had on the people of Atlanta. So I was familiar with a lot of this history already, but kind of this book, it plays out on a personal level with those family narratives of ivan allen and maynard jackson so at oakland we focus so much on the stories of individual residents because we want to make connections between the visitors and history like for example i can talk about the importance of the reconstruction amendment and i can talk about the struggles faced by formerly enslaved men and women after emancipation but you know it's so much more impactful and to when you're kind of learning about this history when you read about how Maynard Jackson's great great grandfather Wesley Dobbs how after decades of forced servitude was finally able to register to vote after the Civil War and just thinking about how he didn't know, uh, the author talks about how he didn't know how to read or write, but can we just imagine that sense of pride and agency he probably felt when he was able to kind of sign an X on that piece of paper, you know, registering him to vote. It's I think it's that's the critical thing with the story is that, you know, really using those personal stories, those anecdotes to give us a connection to the history, to make us actually care about what's being, um, what's on the page. So that was a, that was a first impression. It was also very gratifying to read about the supporting characters, so people who are not in the Allen family or the Jackson family, but people who, um, you know, I would turn a page and I would kind of a name, and I would go, "Oh, they're buried at Oakland. I know them. I know their history." And it was very interesting to, um, you know, see that kind of pop up again and again. And I started trying to make a list of, you know, every name that I recognized um, as I was reading, and that became a very long list.
0: Now, Marcy, we know that a lot of us uh, are aware of Atlanta and its ties to the Civil War, and in particular, the Confederacy. Um, How does Oakland Cemetery handle that history when engaging with audiences?
2: The Civil War, you know, is factored very heavily into the founding of Atlanta. You know, Atlanta was a Confederate hub during the Civil War. It was uh, a manufacturing site there with the railroad connections you know you had supplies and men coming in and out of atlanta it was also a big hospital site during the civil war so there you had uh, soldiers confederate soldiers coming from battlefields all around the south to be treated at atlanta hospitals but you think about kind of the state of medicine at the time it was not great and the soldiers by the time they got to Atlanta were already in really rough shape. So with that in mind, we have about 6,900 Confederate soldiers buried in the Confederate Memorial grounds at Oakland. So this was a land that was had been purchased kind of in the early 1850s, and then it was set aside for the burial of uh, Confederate soldiers. Now, there's about 3,900 soldiers who have um, gravestones, and these are soldiers who died in hospitals during the—in Atlanta hospitals during the war, and so they were able to record their name and what regiment or company they were with. The Atlanta campaign was a series of battles in summer 1864 that were fought basically from Chattanooga all the way down through and then south past Atlanta. Um, but a lot of the Confederate soldiers were uh, buried in battlefield graves. And then after the Civil War, their remains were dug up, disinterred, and reburied at Oakland. So that's kind of how we have about 6,900 Confederate soldiers in this one particular section. Now, there are also uh, two Confederate monuments that are at Oakland. And these two monuments, one was completed in 1874, that is the Confederate obelisk, and then another was completed in 1894. That's known as the Lion of Atlanta. And these two monuments are funerary monuments. They are appropriately placed because they are monuments to the fallen soldiers, but they also fit in with the larger narrative about Confederate monuments, um, which has been uh, very interesting to kind of work with that history i know it can be very politically charged um, but it's been my job over the past couple of years to talk about how do we interpret the history of the civil war and georgia has a state law on the books that says you cannot remove obscure or alter any confederate monuments in the state of georgia now what oakland and uh, many other municipalities are doing and um, because there is the state law are we're putting up interpretive panels in front of confederate monuments and uh, this was done in atlanta a few years, or you know last year a couple years ago that putting up these panels to really talk about what do these monuments mean why were they constructed how has our um, how has our interpretation of these monuments changed over the years? How has our perception of history changed over, you know, the decades? And it's still, um, it's, it's really interesting to see how, you know, it's been over 150 years since the Civil War, and people still have such strong feelings about it. Um, but that has been part of my role at Oakland is to, Kind of talk about how we interpret the confederate history at the cemetery and the confederate section is uh, adjacent to the african-american burial grounds at oakland so burials at oakland were segregated by race basically from the 1850s until the early 1960s when all public facilities and you know parks and cemeteries were desegregated in the south and um ivan allen you know this this occurred during his, um, his tenure as kind of the desegregation of Atlanta, but it's uh, kind of an interesting juxtaposition having the Confederate Memorial Grounds where you've got 6,900 Confederate soldiers who fought for a cause that was founded on kind of this idea of white supremacy right next to um, a section where you have so many notable Atlantans and really the um, generations that would have known Maynard Jackson's um, parents and his grandparents are buried in the African American burial ground. So there's just so much rich history at Oakland to interpret Um, and it's my job to do that.
0: So, I guess, turning our attention back to where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn, um, can you highlight or point out a couple of sections from the book that maybe point to uh, the earliest notions of how Atlanta was beginning to become Atlanta?
2: Absolutely. That's a great question. So, reading the kind of the first section about the Old South and how... um, how kind of Atlanta's origins. I was struck by a couple passages that just talked about kind of this, this, um, basically, this like idea of hustle and self promotion that I feel like has been a part of Atlanta's story since the very beginning. Um, you know, people always say that everything moves a little bit slower in the South, it, but Atlanta has rejected this stereotype basically since the very beginning. I mean, you know, Atlanta started off as this tiny little railroad town um, at the end of the Western and Atlantic rail line that was known as Terminus. And then, you know, was later renamed Marthasville, but this that name was deemed too provincial by the locals. So they finally settled on the name Atlanta, which was the feminine of atlantic for the western and atlantic rail lines so this uh on page 50 it says or at least on my copy of the book it says uh from let's see okay um from the earliest days of atlanta came the shrill sound of a of a people who wanted their city to be important The Chinese once believed that China was the center of the universe. The newspaper in Milledgeville, the Georgia capital, mocked in 1854, adding, it has lately been discovered that Atlanta is. So I read that and I just was kind of laughing, thinking about how true that is, how this idea of Atlanta is this um, kind of the image that we've created that was the same back in the 1850s of, I want to say that we've always thought that we're a little bit more important than we actually are, and I say this as an Atlanta native, um, but you know, Atlanta, it was basically within 10 years of it being founded, this tiny little railroad town like was trying to become the capital of Georgia. You know, it was this was a no this was a settlement in the middle of the woods and the people here had just such grand plans for what they knew was going to be a big community that you know they uh, first proposed to make Atlanta the capital in 1847 and that was defeated and then in, 19, in 1854 they tried again and it was defeated and it wasn't until after the civil war that Atlanta you know during Reconstruction finally became the capital of Georgia. But there is this uh, Sherman um, in part of the book, I forgot what page that was on, maybe 53? Um, sorry, 54. Uh, it talks about General Sherman coming to Atlanta in 1879. And he said something said, the same reason which called me to destroy Atlanta will make it a great city in the future. And I think that's just a common theme of this idea of hustle and self-promotion that is just so key to Atlanta's development. Um, Just this mentality of um, hard work and self-promotion has just been constant
0: both Mayors, Ivan Allen Jr. and Maynard Jackson, are buried at Oakland Cemetery, but I feel like each of them has an interesting Oakland Cemetery story. So Marcy, I was wondering if you could point out maybe how each of them got to be a resident of Oakland Cemetery.
2: Absolutely. So yes, um, Ivan Allen and Maynard Jackson are both buried at Oakland. Um, Ivan Allen is buried on the East Hill, and Maynard Jackson is uh, in an area we call North Public Grounds, which is in the original six acres of the cemetery. Um, but I'll start with uh, I'll start with Ivan Allen. So Ivan Allen, he's buried on East Hill. He is buried next to his wife Louise Richardson Allen and their son, Bo Allen. Um, Ivan Allen, he died in 2003 and he was originally buried at Westview Cemetery which is another cemetery in Atlanta. It was founded in the 1880s. It's out kind of on the west end. But uh, his parents are buried there and other members of the Allen family. But kind of the story goes that Louise, his wife, who was a longtime leader of the Historic Oakland Foundation, um, wanted to be buried at Oakland and Louise, I forget what year she died. It was, it's you know, been in the last ten years. Um, but she wanted to get buried at Oakland, and the Allen family ended up purchasing a lot on East Hill, and a lot you can have um, multiple people buried within a lot. Um, but this lot was right next to the Inman family lot. And some people may recognize the name Inman, um, Inman Park, You know, it's very, uh, the Inman family was very prominent in the founding and development of Atlanta. But uh, Louise was a member of the Inman family. So it's very kind of, you know, interesting to see these two families side by side. Um, but uh, Louise Allen, when she died, oh, I think 2008, so she was buried at the oakland lot and then um ivan allen was moved over from westview and reburied next to his wife and then after their son beau died in 2014 he was also laid to rest next to his parents so the three of them are just have these very simple plain gravestones just side by side um up on the top of east hill and then maynard jackson um died in 2003 and he was laid to rest in North Public Grounds. Now, North Public Grounds is uh, an open kind of area. You don't see a lot of gravestones in it, but this would have been a section of the cemetery that, um, for people who didn't own a family lot, they could have gotten buried at Oakland. it was kind of the, it was the original section of the cemetery as Oakland later expanded, other kind of spots opened up, areas opened up for people who, you know, if they were poor or didn't have a family lot or maybe they were a stranger, nobody knew who they were, but they died in Atlanta. Um, They got buried in sections like that. But what's interesting about North Public Grounds is that this would have traditionally been a section for uh, white Atlantans only. Now, Oakland burials were segregated by race, basically from the early 1850s after Oakland was founded until the early 1960s, when all public facilities in Atlanta were desegregated. So now, nowadays, you can get buried at Oakland in any part of the cemetery, no matter your, you know, race, background, religion. Um, You just have to get on the waiting list to get buried in Oakland. But um, so it's very interesting to see, you know, Maynard Jackson, we talk about through our interpretation of him that as he broke the color line in life by becoming the first African American mayor of Atlanta, he also broke the color line in this particular section of Oakland by becoming the first person of color to be buried in this particular area. Now Maynard Jackson his spot was deeded by the city of Atlanta and he has a very interesting and impressive monument and and this monument is it's really it's like 14 and a half feet tall it is um, black granite it's very visually striking um, but it has a very interesting orientation that traditionally most graves will run on a north-south or east-west axis. And this, his grave monument is actually on a diagonal. And if you were to kind of look out in that direction, it's facing the downtown kind of city skyline. So it's a really kind of incredible way to look at, you know, the city from Maynard Jackson's um, tombstone. So, and this monument was actually the second monument that was placed there. And he had a smaller marker when he died in 2003 and his, um, the marker that's there now was placed in 2017. It was designed by his uh, wife, Valerie Jackson, and kind of with input from, you know, members of the Jackson family, as well as friends, and then, I think the city of Atlanta probably had some involvement
0: with it. Well, with that being said, Marcy, Oakland Cemetery does so much as it relates to history. And we've talked a lot about Maynard Jackson and Ivan Allen. How, how do you all treat history at Oakland Cemetery? And I guess, how would you encourage people to engage with the cemetery if they would love to learn more about uh, these mayors or other folks or uh, any of the other residents of the cemetery.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So Oakland is a city park. So our gates are open every day of the year and people can just come in and walk around. But, um, I believe that the best way to get to know the cemetery and to engage with the history there is through some of our programming that we offer and We try to develop in programs that find multiple access points for people to connect with the cemetery. So, whether it's the history that brings you to Oakland, or maybe you just are obsessed with looking at the funerary art and architecture and you want to come in and paint and draw, or you just want to enjoy the gorgeous gardens, or you want to walk for exercise, we try to develop programs that will... um, hit a broad range of topics but we offer tours um, every single weekend and we actually have we have a general tour it's called the site symbols and stories of Oakland and of course Ivan Allen and Maynard Jackson are both stops on that tour so that is offered every weekend as well as we have a number of special topic tours so people can really do a deep dive into a particular subject whether that is you know african-american history at oakland or you know the different epitaphs that are at the cemetery we have a tour called malts and vaults which is just about atlanta's er early brewing history um which is pretty popular so and another tour called love stories which just looks at um the cemetery as this repository for love stories which normally you don't think of love stories at a cemetery, but, you know, everyone who is buried at Oakland was loved or loved by someone else. Um, But we offer these tours. We offer family programs like scavenger hunts. We have a holiday program every year so people can come in and meet St. Nicholas and kind of explore some of the mausoleums that are decorated for the holidays. And of course, our big special events. So we do um, an art event every year and uh, we have a music festival in the summer called Tunes from the Tombs, which is just, again, another way to experience the cemetery through music. And uh, we have a 5K called Run Like Hell in October. And of course, our biggest event is called Capturing the Spirit of Oakland Halloween Tours. And these are evening tours the last uh, couple of weekends of October, but we bring several of our residents to life during these evening tours. And it is a huge fundraiser for us, for the Historic Oakland Foundation, and our tickets usually go on sale in July and sell out very, very quickly. So that's actually a um, it's a it's a big big fundraiser for us and we have not done uh, Ivan Allen or Major Jackson they have not been featured on um, these capturing the spirit of Oakland Halloween tours but you know maybe maybe in the next couple of years
0: Marcy thank you for this thank you for helping us understand where Peace Tree meets Sweet Auburn a little bit better and thank you for helping us learn about all of the amazing things happening at Oakland Cemetery I really appreciate it.
2: Thank you very much. Yeah, it's it's a great place to work. I encourage everybody to come visit, and um, you know, there's just there's something for everybody there.
0: The city of Atlanta is crucial to how we remember the Civil War, and in this part of where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn we get a good glimpse into that. However, it's always good to get an expert perspective. So I reached out to Gordon Jones from the Atlanta History Center to help us get a better perspective of the impact of the Civil War on Atlanta and vice versa.
3: Well, this is Gordon Jones. I'm with the Atlanta History Center. I'm the uh, senior military historian and curator and uh, we oversee one of the largest Civil War artifact and document and book collections in the country. We also have that uh, big giant round painting that depicts the Battle of Atlanta that we just finished restoration and opened in 2019. Uh, so that my job reflects the importance of Atlanta in the Civil War and the Civil War in
0: Atlanta. Well, Gordon, let's dive in right there. Um, I think Atlanta and its role in the Civil War is not an unknown notion in the city. I think people are well aware that the city was burned uh, by General Sherman. At least that's the overall narrative. But could you maybe give some perspective on on why Atlanta was so important that it had to be burned down um, in that respect? or why General Sherman was so concerned with Atlanta? Could you maybe give some, some back story on that part?
3: Sure. I, I, th- I think people do know th- about this connection with the burning of Atlanta and Sherman and, of course, the mythical view of that in the movie and the book Gone with the Wind. But what people don't realize, I think, as much is just how important Atlanta was to both the Union and the Confederacy. Um, in the in the Civil War. For the Confederacy, Atlanta was the great manufacturing and supply hub uh, of the Lower South. Four railroads converged in Atlanta, and of course the railroads are what built Atlanta. That's the reason we're here anyway. And so as a result, of course, that's a natural military target for the United States armies under General Sherman. But more fundamentally, Atlanta is a political target, because at this time in 1864, Abraham Lincoln is up for re-election. He is campaigning on the promise of a restored union of states and the emancipation of slavery. But there is a lot of opposition in the North uh, to his re-election, because people doubt that the war is really winnable. You know, it it seems to be dragging on forever and there's all these casualties and all this death and all this bloodshed. And so what Lincoln needs, you know, in 1864 is a magnificent battlefield victory that can prove to his doubting voters that the war is winnable and that therefore the war for Union and Emancipation should proceed. And Atlanta is that victory. Uh, Lincoln doesn't get it in Virginia where he expected when they're attacking richmond but he does get it in atlanta on september 2nd 1864 and that was a game changer uh for the u.s war effort it and it you know really reinvigorated people in the north lincoln expected to lose in the election i mean he was just really down in the dumps in in august and in september everything changes so it's a boost for the North and then it's just devastating blow to the, to the white southerners, to the, to the Confederate cause because they kind of feel like, gosh, if we can't hold Atlanta, you know, we can't hold anything. So, Atlanta is the last turning point of the war and I, I like to say that, you know, the, the future of our country was really determined right here in our backyards in Atlanta.
0: Now, Gordon, when we think about the aftermath of the Civil War, or I guess maybe the aftermath of, of Sherman's march to the sea. Um, what, I guess, can you maybe give some, some perspective of what was happening in the city in that immediate aftermath, um, in terms of rebuilding efforts, in terms of maybe population shifts, in terms of how we began to understand who was coming into or repopulating Atlanta as we began to know it again. Sure.
3: Yeah, the, 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 remember first of all, that after the city of Atlanta is captured on September 2nd, uh, the Union Army, the US Army occupies Atlanta all the way through the middle of November. And in that time, uh, Sherman orders the civilian population to be expelled because he wants doesn't want them in the way, doesn't want them eating his army's rations. Um, but at the same time, we also see at that point a lot of African-Americans uh, taking their freedom into their own hands and coming into Atlanta anyway, uh, despite orders to the contrary. And so you're going th- that begins a trend that you see even more after the U.S. Army leaves. And, of course, when they do leave in the middle of November, November 15 and 16, uh, they will destroy anything of military value uh, that is in the city of course that's what made the city a target to begin with so they're going to destroy the railroads, they're going to destroy the infrastructure the gas works um, brick buildings that could be used to house Confederate soldiers, all the factories, all that kind of stuff Uh, in total about 40% 40% of the city and most of the downtown destroyed because Sherman's not going to leave the troops behind and so he realizes that he can't leave anything for any Confederate troops that may come in uh, later. And a lot of the escaped uh, African-Americans followed Sherman, uh, tried to follow Sherman, uh, as he marched down to Savannah on the famous march to the sea. But back in Atlanta, uh, very quickly, you know, the city's reoccupied with with Confederate forces and not much for them to do there. But they are there are Confederate forces there, and it's actually not until April of 1865 uh, that U.S. soldiers uh, show back up again uh, in Atlanta. And uh, by that point, you know it, it, this is just a whole a whole new ball game. Uh, you have on the one hand the, the sort of the elite business class and mostly white business class, and really they're going to focus on is rebuilding and forget the war uh, forget whatever mistakes we've made in the past gas we got to make some money uh, and then African Americans look at this and say opportunity look at here's the railroad the railroad needs workers um, this is how for example the town of Reynoldstown, town uh, east of Atlanta is begun it's begun as a settlement of freed African-Americans who are working on the railroad in that recovery period. So, you know, Atlanta is transformed by the war, but yet, you know, that quest for, you know, that entrepreneurial quest from all Atlantans
0: remains central. Thank you to Gordon Jones of the Atlanta History Center for that perspective thank you to marcy breffel of historic oakland foundation i sincerely hope all of you enjoyed this episode of the atlanta legacy makers podcast and i hope you're enjoying the book where peace tree meets sweet auburn part one is now in the books no pun intended well i guess pun intended i mean let's be honest uh part one is in the books and next up is part two entitled the patriarchs arrive. So, let's keep reading and we'll talk about it in the next episode. Until then, I'm Floyd Hall and forever, I love Atlanta. Atlanta Legacy Makers is an initiative led by Central Atlanta Progress, in partnership with the city of Atlanta. Special thanks to author Gary Pomerantz, lecturer at Stanford University in the graduate program in journalism. You heard Gary at the top of this episode talking about some of the backstory of writing where Peachtree meets Sweet Auburn. And we're thrilled to have Gary's perspective throughout this project. Now, for more information about Atlanta Legacy Makers, please visit ATLLegacyMakers.com. That's ATLLegacyMakers.com. Last but not least, thank you, Atlanta.